one of the things I love to be able to do in our context is to get around God's word and equip each other to do life so well that anyone who knows you looks at you and says, you're an inspiration to me. And the reason you're an inspiration to them is because you do life God's way. And so we'll all have our ups and downs. Give me a wave if you've had some downs in your life. That should be everyone. But give me a wave if you've had some ups in your life. You see, being a Christian doesn't mean it's only ups. Jesus never said, I died for you so you could have a bed of roses. It's going to be ups and downs. But when you're in the downs, you can know, you can know, you can know that the God of heaven is with you. And so therefore, you have the hope and the great expectation to move out of that situation quickly and learn something along the way. And anyone watching you go through that process will say, wow, you handled that in a way that I don't handle it. And it isn't because you're better or worse than them. It's Jesus. And so we need to be people who grab hold of God's word, live it out publicly, and then you become the greatest witness ever. You don't have to whack anyone around the head with the Bible. You don't have to say to anyone, do you believe? You just be you. And you become a walking testimony to Jesus. Are we up for that kind of life? And so my hope is that as we go through these processes, looking at joy, and we've already had a couple, haven't we? We've done enjoy yourself. How about you be you? I did that with the capital Y-O-U-R-S-E-L-F. Yourself. Be you. When you start being you and enjoy being you, it's just a better life. You'll find it on podcasts. We talked about what is your source of joy. Is it stuff? Is it people? Is it miracles? Or is it God himself? And when you get your source of joy right, you can live in a consistent joy rather than a yo-yo joy. Of course, we all want to have those high moments, and we will experience the low moments. But when your source is right, you stay somewhere in between. And it's awesome. I encourage you to listen to those words. Nehemiah 8, verse 10, is our theme verse for this next few months. And it says this, Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send to those um, who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. What an awesome thought. That God's joy in you strengthens you. And as you get strong and live your life out well, you get joy. And it all starts with him, not us. And so we've just getting around this verse a little bit and just bandying some ideas around with this concept of joy. Because I believe, church, we need to be counterculture. You're living in education, you're living in workplace, you're living in a school environment, you're living in a social world. Whatever you're doing, you're outside of this environment living all of the time. And who knows that the world is generally pretty negative? Who knows that the world is going to be very, very quick to point out what's not good? Give me a wave if you've experienced some of that. I know that to be true. But we, God's people, are going to be really quick to point out what's right and be really quick to point out what's good and encourage each other. I found this picture here on, on Facebook the other day, and it just speaks volumes. Look at this. Here is the brain. Now, look at what you're seeing, focusing on one bad thing. But here is the heart, saying, look. And I think if I can find that in a social media environment, that means lots of people relate to that. But how about church? That doesn't become our lifestyle. How about church, we turn around and say, yeah, there are some things I'm struggling with in life, but I'm not going to give them my attention. I'm going to look at what's good. Because who knows what you feed grows. And so if you're constantly looking at the bad, what's going to grow? 
It's not to be unrealistic and pretend it's not there, and maybe you need to deal with some stuff. But don't give that all of your attention so that becomes bigger than it really is. In that picture, there is more good stuff, and the good stuff is bigger. But we still manage to live a life. Can you see what I'm trying to say? We need to be counterculture and get our eyes fixed on Jesus who will point out what's great about you and encourage yourself. We need to give our attention to joy. I love this is, this is true because joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And so I know God is fully behind this concept. He wants us to be living in joy. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit, one of them being joy. And so therefore, as we look at joy, who knows all of heaven's going, yes, Kesed Church, yes, you, 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 enjoy. Let it grow from inside of you so that you become happy. Here's where I want to get to tonight. I believe hopes and dreams are being stolen. I believe people have stopped trying new things. I believe people have stopped pushing doors and asking questions. I believe life for so many people has become a bit monotonous when it was always supposed to be an adventure. I love it in Eden. There's Adam and Eve, and this was God's original plan. He said, go and explore. Go and have fun. Enjoy yourself. And yet here we are in 2018, living life in... I'll go and I'll get a degree and I might get a job or I might not and I'll try and I'll pay the bills and I'll get a house and I'll have some children or I'll get a relationship and I'll go on three or four holidays and then I'll die. <laughs> and yet somehow in it all, we've missed the adventure of life, haven't we? But yet if we could get our eyes off of the way we're sort of ingrained into doing it. And back onto Jesus, the adventure begins again. It's always been his plan. And I want to say to you this. The problem here is fear. Our joy is being diminished because of fear. And I want to unpack some of that. An exciting opportunity arises in your world. And who knows when an exciting opportunity arises, people question you. You question you. And suddenly what could have been really exciting, you start thinking like this. What if it goes wrong? What if I mess it up? What if I let some people down? What if I embarrass myself? And we think so much about what if it goes wrong that we never think, what if it goes right? And somewhere in it all, we get so focused on the negative that we don't even push the door, ask the question, take the challenge. We talk ourselves out of it and then wonder where all the joy has gone. So my encouragement to you tonight, church, is let's get a bit braver. Let's get some ballsy Christians, if I can use that word in a church context. But you know what I mean. Keeping it real from the front. The title of my message today is Feel the Fear. And do it anyway. Feel the fear and do it anyway. Because here's the truth. Fear is not going very far. Fear is going to be hanging around. The question you've asking yourself is, how much of a voice do you give it? It's going to be there. But what are you going to focus on? So let's go through a little process together as a church. And my hope is you'll go out of this place thinking, come on. I'm going to make a go of this life. And you will be encouraged. And it will bring some joy. I want to bring some thoughts around um, some of Elijah's story. Some of you might be familiar with him, some not. And I want to develop in my preaching style that I want to be speaking to people who may never have touched a Bible before. 
So you'll be sitting here, many of you have been Christians all your life for many, many years. And I say Elijah, and you go, oh, yeah, I know Elijah, Old Testament prophet, yeah, yeah. Someone else is sitting there thinking, who's Elijah? And we want to engage with these people, don't we? So we want to be a church where we can speak into the lives of people who have been Christians 50 plus years and are mature, but we can also help people who haven't got a first clue what's going on here so they get it too. So if I get a bit simple sometimes, it helps me. But that's why. Because I want you to bring your friend to church and then walk away going, I got that. I understood that. That helped me. And we take a step towards Jesus. And when they find Jesus, the joy starts to flow in their life, which is what we really want. So here's Elijah. He's an Old Testament prophet. He's living in a time where the king is called Ahab and the queen is called Jezebel. When I say Jezebel, you can boo. The queen was called Jezebel. Yes, we've gone very panto. We're liking it already. It was a difficult time. God's people were persecuted. Uh, she was killing off all of God's prophets. It was a difficult, difficult time. And God speaks to Elijah and says to Elijah, go to Ahab and Jezebel. And tell them it's not going to rain until you say so. Now you need to know that he's going to the king and the queen. The most powerful people at the time. And he's saying to them, God has told me to tell you it's not going to rain. Now that was economic suicide. They relied on the rain. It was so, so important for everything. For their health, for their crops, for their economy, for everything. And he was going in there giving them exactly what they didn't want to hear. Right there's a brave man. Saying, okay, God, if you're telling me to do that, I will do that. That is a brave man right there. So he goes and he gives this message. And we come to this point at this chapter here in 1 Kings, verse, uh, chapter 18, verse 1. After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the land. So this is three years later now, on the third year. It hasn't rained for three years. They're in a difficult time. They're getting desperate. And God says to Elijah, now's the time. Who knows with God, timing's important. You need to get it right. You need to be in relationship with the Father and with other people who know the Father and get your timing right. Because when you get your timing right, things flow. And so he goes to Ahab at the right time and has a conversation. And as part of the conversation, Jezebel, we're getting the ang, church, we're getting the ang. He's behind you. <laughs> Jezebel no, don't, let's forget that idea. Forget that idea. <laughs> Bin that one. <laughs> Jezebel's annoyed with him. And as part of the conversation, they engage in this challenge. You see, Jezebel has been killing off God's prophets, but has been raising up prophets of Baal and Asherah. And, and Elijah says to her, I tell you what, we'll have a fire off. We're going to meet at Mount Carmel. And you bring 450 prophets of Asherah and 450 prophets of Baal, and I'll come on my own. And what we'll do is, they will call fire down from heaven, as long as you like, and we'll see if they've got answers. And then when you've had your go, I'm going to call fire down from heaven and see if my God answers. And whichever God answers by fire, that is the true God, and everyone will see it. She says, cool, let's do that. And so they go to Carmel. Just imagine how pumped Elijah is right now. You've got to psych yourself up right now. He's going one man against 900 prophets here. You've got the nation all gathering around the mountain to watch it. This is a public display. Uh, he's a man of faith right there because that's got to be quite nerve-wracking. It's got to be one of those moments where it's like, God, you've got to come through now. 
Otherwise, I'm going to look like a right egg. Anyone been in that position before now? You know, God, if you don't do something here, I'm going to look really bad. So here he is. He's on the mountain. And the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah start doing their thing. They start doing their chanting and slashing themselves. They slash themselves up. There's blood flowing. And nothing's happening. Not a bean, not a dicky bird. And Elijah, you know, there's, there's a thing, you know, I think often that in Christianity we don't like sarcasm much. The trouble is I'm quite a sarcastic person, so I'm just a rubbish Christian, I think. <laughs> but, I, I, but I think God doesn't mind a bit of sarcasm. Because when you read through this story, there is Elijah standing there watching these 900 prophets dance and holler and scream and cut themselves. Not a dicky bird. And he says this. Oh, I don't think you're doing it loud enough. He's not quite hearing you. That's sarcasm, isn't it? Oh, he hasn't. There, there is a, one of the translations says this. I think he may be on the toilet. He hasn't heard you yet. Do it louder. That's sarcasm right there. That's in the Bible. I'm feeling like a better Christian already. It's all good. <laughs> Nothing. And Elijah in the end says, you've had your time. Now it's my turn. He builds an altar of wood. And he says to the people, I tell you what, let's make this a proper contest. Fill it with water. Who knows that's not good when you're calling down fire. Fill it with water. The confidence of the man. There's a man of faith right there. He says, do it again. He said, in fact, dig around it and fill that with water. Let's make it a real contest. And then he stands up before everyone and says, God, reveal yourself. Reveal yourself now. And in that moment, fire came down from heaven, licked it all up. The water, the whole lot was dried out completely. How does that feel in that moment for Elijah? I've seen some stuff. I've seen a guy who was blind in one eye. One of my testimonies, he was, wasn't born blind in one eye. He was seven years old, playing in his kitchen with his brother, and his brother threw a fork at him. They were just messing about like kids might do. And it hit him right in the eye, and he was blind. He was blinded for three years. And he came to me at a Christian camp one time, and they were talking about healing and praying for each other. I was 15 years old, and I didn't really know what I was doing, but I believed it. And he said, would you pray for me? And I went, okay, God, you've got to do something now. I didn't pray a flash prayer. But I prayed a, a prayer of faith. And I said, God, would you open his eye? And I tell you the truth. His eye opened right there and right then. It did. And I don't care what anyone says or thinks of that. That's my story. And I was there. And you'll never take it away from me. This guy got up on the stage. It was a, it was a, a conference of about 3,000 people in one of those giant tents. He ran onto the stage. He didn't give a stuff. Do you know when God's just healed you of opening your eye, you don't care what anyone's thinking right there, do you? Sometimes with these Christians, these shy Christians, when God does something amazing, you don't give a stuff. He's run onto the stage, he's grabbed the microphone off whoever was leading it, and he said, I can see! And 3,000 people were like, Aah! it was amazing. And I'll never forget that, but I want to see more of it. But here is Elijah, with a whole nation watching. Fire comes down, so much so that all the water's gone. They realize who the real God is. And they kill the prophets. And they hound the king and the queen who disappear out of sight. What joy. What an emotion that must have been. He must have felt like he was the best guy on the planet. My God is real. This is awesome. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. But that's how he was feeling. 
but then he receives a letter. And I want to read this letter to you. 1 Kings 19, verses 1 through 4. Ahab, the king, told Jezebel, his wife, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets by the sword. So Jezebel sent a a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. So here's this, you picture the scene. He's had this amazing, amazing thing happen. God has proved himself faithful in front of everyone. He's used Elijah to do it. Joy has risen up. Confidence has risen up. Faith has risen up. It's amazing. And then he receives one letter from one woman. And he suddenly says, I'm giving up. I just want to die. I'm rubbish. Leave me alone. Has anyone been in that space before? I'm useless. Where did the joy go? I don't want to say this. He received a letter from Jezebel, but he acted like he received a letter from God. You see, the weight he gave to that letter weighed on him so heavily, it destroyed his joy, his confidence, his faith, and everything. And he said, I just give up. Let me die. He was filled with fear. And I believe, maybe to not this extent, but so often, fear is attacking us as Christians. Fear is attacking people, full stop, Christian or not. And it's robbing us of our confidence, our hope, and our joy. And we're living in this place where we think, oh, shove it. And we're just plodding out this little monotonous life when it was always supposed to be an adventure. And I want to say, how about today's the day, if that's you, you break out of there. And you say, come on, I'm standing up again. I'm getting a hold of my life because Jesus died that I'd have the fullest life. And that's the life I'm going to have. Sometimes we have to grab it by the scruff of the neck and do that. Elijah gives up, but God doesn't. And I want to tell you, if you're sat here today, if you've given up, God hasn't. And if you just give him your attention again, you just see where your life might go. This is what God does in 1 Kings 19, uh, 19 verses 9 through 13. Uh, Elijah went to a cave and spent the night there. And God spoke to him. He said, I've been very, very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore through the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? I love this. You, we, we read that passage there, and I think, what's that really like? He's in the lowest of low places where he just wants to give up and die. And God says to him, come out. You know, and he's still in tune with his father because he knows him so well. And so he thinks, okay, he comes out. There's an earthquake. Has anyone been in an earthquake? Not many, a few people. 
Stupid been, I, I'm going to assume I've not been there. I'm going to assume that you know when you've been in an earthquake. Is it an earthquake? God went in the earthquake. And he's staying there. And then there's a great wind. We had quite a windy night the other night, didn't we? We lost our bins and our fences and whatnot. But God's not in that. Then there's a the fire. There's all this stuff going on around him. But he knows it's not God. And then there's a whisper. You know, we use this passage so often about tuning in to the small, still, still small voice of God. But this is the context. He's in the lowest place. There's all this commotion around him. But yet he still knows when God's speaking. And I, for one, want to be one of those people who it doesn't matter what's going on around me or how good or how rubbish I feel, I can still tune into the voice of my father. And that right there is a challenge. And I love what God does here. He doesn't question him. He doesn't put him down. He doesn't ask him the situation. He just says, what are you doing here? Because God still had a plan. It was always a plan. And if only Elijah would now choose to give God's voice the weight, as opposed to the letter, the weight, there's going to be joy again. And I don't know where you sit right now, church, but I know this. If you'll tune into the whisper of God and give it weight, there's joys coming your way. And we need to be people who will tune into that and not the circumstances around us. I wonder how many of us have had really great experiences, encouraging times, launched out on something, and you've got a bit bolder, and you've tried a few things, and it's starting to go well, and then someone pipes up. There's always one, isn't there? Just one little comment, one little moment, despite all that's gone before, can somehow destroy your confidence. Suddenly you feel like, oh, I want to have a rethink, even though it's been going well. I just remember, you know, I'd like to tell you some stories, but I remember when I started this church. We're in our 13th year now. And so, you know, some 14 years ago, I know, I know, I know, the still small voice of God spoke to me and said, Barry, start a church. I know. For me, that's not up for debate. I know. And so I came back and I knew God had spoken to me and I spoke to my family and they said, you know what? Let's do this together. We could do this. Yeah, we believe that's, that's God's word for you. I spoke to a few friends and they said, we'll back you. And we launched out. And we were really excited. We were like, God's with us. This is going to be amazing. We're going to change the world in probably two or three weeks. It'll all be sorted. The whole world's going to become Christians and Jesus is going to be made known. We're going to do it all. We were right up for it. <laughs> and we started the church. But then there's always one, isn't there? Actually, there was lots. Questions came at me like, do we need another church in Colchester? Who are you? Where were you trained? Who's your covering? What's your theology on this subject, this subject, and this subject? And just bit by bit by bit, people would chip away. And in the end, you started thinking, we were just going to start a church and change the world and make Jesus known. And now I feel like giving up because everyone's questioning every little thing. You know, <laughs> anyone ever been in that place? But you have to come to the point where you're saying, am I going to do this or am I not? It was really funny. We had all kinds of things happening. I remember we used to meet at the school over in Greenstead there, and um, it, was a, it was tiered seating and a, a relatively large stage. And I don't know, we were probably 40 people or something, 30, 40 people, and having a great time and really having a go. We watched the old video before, um, you know, before Christmas of our first ever meeting. I'll try and show it to you at some point, sometime. And Sarah's leading worship, and she has got the biggest belt you've ever seen. 
this belt is like bigger than her head. It's just the, the fashion's hilarious. I've come out there and I've got the old boot cuts on. It's hilarious, grainy old video. And we'd be doing our best to praise God and we were having some great times. And then some local um, teenagers who, want, who heard we were meeting there as a church thought it'd be hilarious to come in on their skateboards and skate across the stage. And it's like, what do you do with that? Do you knock them out? Do you join in? Well, we didn't see that one coming. But in the end, we embraced them. We got a couple of the big dudes to, uh, to sit next to them and that. And to be fair, three or four of them actually hung around and come several times. And one of them eventually made a commitment to Jesus, which was awesome. But it was a real trial. It was like I could have done without that. But one of my, one of our, what I think is one of the hilarious moments, uh, Dad's at the back there. Give me a wave, you know, my dad. Uh, dad's just awesome. But there was this one particular guy, and I think, to be fair, he was probably struggling with schizophrenia or some mental health issue. And he'd come and he'd always shout out random stuff. And our dilemma is, you don't kick anyone out of church, really, do you? It's just like, I have an open door. But on the other hand, he was ruining it for everyone else. Because he was saying stupid, random things that had nothing to do with what was going on. And so my dad would just sidle up to him, put his arm around him. Should we go and have a coffee? Coffee's always the answer, church. Always the answer. Gets him out, and he was at a little foyer. Not like here where it's all together. It was another room, a little foyer. And he got there and had a little coffee together. And he decided he was going to go. And so Dad said, okay, you're always welcome here, but if you want to go. And as he opened the door for him, Dad patted him on the back. And it was only a friendly pat. He turned round to him, and he went, you are Satan. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> This church full of faith under the word of God. We're going to change the world. Next minute, my dad's Satan. (laughs) But do you listen to the negativity? Do you listen to the accusations? Do you listen to the constant, constant questioning? Or do you believe what God said? And there were moments you think, is it, what's the point of all this? But I'm glad I pushed through. And I'm glad all of our leadership team pushed through. Yeah. The difficult thing with these situations is I could have 50 people sat in that room and 49 of them come up to me and say, Barry, enjoyed that word. That, that was really helpful. That was, a, that was a word in season. You know, it really meant that's encouraged me. And one person say, didn't like that. I think your theology is all wrong. I don't agree with it at all. Why are you even standing up there? What's the comment you remember? What's the comment which sticks with you? Why, does that, why are we wired like that? What I am challenging tonight is to unwire ourselves from that and start getting our focus on Jesus because there's 49 people cheering you one and one not. And how about let's focus on the 49 and what God said and not on the one negative person that is destroying your joy. Because if you do that, you won't achieve the thing you've got in your heart. And we want to be people that go all the way. So my first question to you today is what's the loudest voice? Is it people or is it God? Is it love or is it hate? Is it fear or is it freedom? But all those voices are in your world. Who are you going to listen to? And I encourage you. So I want to give you two or three keys if you find yourself in this place. And the first key is this. Go back to what did God say? The first key in anything you're doing is go back to what God said. Elijah, despite all the amazing miracles I told you about, was squashed by one letter. And yet, 
when he got back to that place where he tuned into God again, the encouragement started to build. The whisper of God came. It started reminding him. And I love, he said, love it. He said, what are you doing here? I wonder how many of you need that. Why are you here? Why are you in this job? Why are you in this relationship? Why are you in this health situation? Why are you in this church? <laughs> Cheers, Kenny. Love you, man. But the underlying theme of what God is saying to Elijah is, what are you doing here because I've given you authority? And church, we not only need to know why are we here, we need to know that God's given you authority to win in this world. And when you start understanding that and living like it, joy is going to come back. And I want to implement some of that. I love the fact that God doesn't go over and over and over it. He doesn't keep saying to him, you did that wrong or you lost your confidence there. He, didn't. He, doesn't. he just says, why are you here? And if you follow through the story, the next thing he says is, these are the next steps. Go to these people, anoint these people, go to this place, just get on with it. And I love the fact that I think as people, we like to analyze all our mistakes, don't we? Oh, if I'd only done that better. But God didn't. God didn't analyze it. He said, why are you here? Right, come on, now we're moving. And how about church? Let it go. Let that mistake go. Let why on earth you've ended up in this position go and start saying, now I'm moving again. Because God won't be hanging around in the darkness. He'll be saying, let's go into the light and do it together. And he'll lead you there. I think that accountability is one of the greatest strengths you can have, both in church and out of church. So when I started the church, I knew God had spoken to me, but I went to my family and I went to my friends. And we were accountable. Do you think this is right? So you might have a vision you think is from God to start a business, to invest some money, to enter a relationship, whatever it might be. Start a course. I don't know what it might be. You might have that and you feel... Check it out with some people. Because when you check it out with some people, there's some strength in the accountability. Because sometimes you might be fully tuned into the whisper of God, but still get it a little bit wrong. Because we're people. And none of us is perfect. But when you get other people around you, there is strength in that place. And two great things happen out of that. If you get into a moment of wobble, where the voice of questioning comes, there is strength. Because you can go to those people and say, I've had a really bad day. This person said this to me. Or I've received this negative report. This has happened. And they will say to you, come on, we're with you in this. You're not giving up now. Remember what God said. And sometimes we just need that encouragement. If you're on your own, you can talk yourself out of it. And I'm sure we've all done it from time to time. But the other thing that happens is when you succeed, and you will, in that joy, it's shared. Because they were in it with you. And so now joy is multiplied just because you cared enough to include someone in your journey. Do you see it? So it's, what did God say? And who have you got believing with you? It's so, so important. Don't do it on your own. We were made for relationship. That's why relationships are so important for us. Because that's the way God wired us. Do it together, especially if it's a big thing. And this is the key I want to home in tonight. It's the last one. It's here in Proverbs 4.23. Very famous passage. Above all else... Guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And very famous passage, often used to talk about romantic relationships, and I think that's true. Guard your heart. Don't just throw yourself at anyone who comes along. That's to show an interest. You need to decide, is this person right for me? 
It's important that you stay guarded. Because who knows, once your heart's involved, it's really hard to get your heart uninvolved. And so you need to guard it right at the beginning. But that's not the point I want to focus in now. I want to talk about guarding your heart because when negativity comes, if you allow it into your heart, it's really difficult to get it out of your heart. And the word here is tosayot. It's a Hebrew word. Turn to the person next to you and say tosayot. And it's this area that says what you do flows from it. That word flows from it is tosayot. Some uh, passages will say um, because it's the, where the wellsprings of life are. And it's this word tosayot. And tosayot is a word linked with distance. So what the word, the, this passage is really saying is above all else, guard your heart because it's going to determine how far you go. That's what it really means. So here's the thing. If you allow someone to speak into your life negatively and it gets in, it's going to stop you keeping going. So it's going to affect your distance. Whereas if you guard your heart and say, I am choosing not to listen to that, but I'm going to listen to someone who's encouraging me, I will keep striding out. Therefore, my distance is further. You see, that's what the passage means. Who knows that when you start understanding God's word, it's always good. And people say, oh, I don't believe in the Bible. I don't like the Bible. I've never read it. But when you start understanding, oh, I like that, oh, I like that. There's nothing not to like. It's just a book of good news inspired by God. Who inspires you and wants you to do well? It's all good. We carry the best message. Here's the thing. This is where the fear comes in. Biblically speaking, Jezebel, we would call Jezebel as witchcraft personified. Now, she wasn't a witch who was like, hubble, bubble, toil and trouble. <laughs> Leg of newt. Well, not, that, not that type of witch. But, <laughs> but witchcraft, is fear is not a thing you can touch. Fear is spiritual or emotional. And so when you talk about witchcraft, witchcraft works like this. It works through domination, manipulation, and control. And so you could have someone speak into your life. You can't touch it, but that negative word can latch onto your emotions and your spiritual side and start dominating your thinking. And that manipulates you to the point where you think, oh, I'm having second thoughts now. And then it begins to control you. And so it's not that they hubble-bubbled you, but because of something they're carrying, which is spiritual, they speak into your life and it latches onto you and begins to dominate and control you. Do you understand the concept? And so here we have Jezebel, who's just basically a woman who says, I'm going to kill you. Is she going to kill him? Probably not. But he believes it. He doesn't guard his heart. He allows it into his heart. It changes his thinking and controls him to the point he says, I'm going to give up. How far is he going to go when he gives up? Nowhere. So guard your heart because it's going to affect how far you go. And witchcraft doesn't work necessarily with spells, although I'm sure that exists. But that's not what this is talking about. This is witchcraft in a spiritual sense. When people speak into your life, talk over your life, and it affects you so much, it stops you doing stuff. Does anyone, can you relate to that? Often, it's with people who are important to you. Teachers, parents, mentors. When you give them a place to speak into your life, if they get it wrong and they're negative about you, it impacts you. So you need to decide fully who do you allow a place to speak into your life. Because it's powerful. And it's important that we get it right. Guarding your heart means actively determining what voice you're going to allow into you. The voices will be there. The negativity is going to be there. But will you listen to it? Will you give weight to it? 
Or will you give weight to what God says? We enjoy great relationships. But if fear has robbed us of our confidence, did you ever approach that person you like? Did you ever ask that question? Or was it because you really liked them, you felt like God had placed them in your life, but someone told you you weren't attractive enough or clever enough or witty enough and you thought they'd never like me and actually they would have liked you, but fear has told you and manipulated you and controlled you that you don't even ask the question. And it stops how far you're going to go. How about we tune into the still small voice of God and tune out from the negative report? How about we guard our heart to say, God, I want your highest for me, and I'm going to allow some people in my life who are pro-me and pro-you, and together we're going to work this through together, because the negative voice will exist. How about the fact that most of us like nice things, a holiday, a car, a home, to be able to buy someone a gift, to be able to be generous in offerings, to be able to fund stuff for other people. But if you don't have the great job, you don't earn the money to be able to do that. If you don't start the business that God's put on your heart, you never get to that place where you're able to do that. And the reason people aren't applying for jobs and the reason people aren't starting business is because they're scared it's going to fail. Well, where did that come from? I know this, it wasn't from God. So who spoke over you to start telling you you'd never make it? And if it wasn't God, don't we need to shut it out, shut it down, and say, I'm tuning back into your small, still voice. And then we can start starting the business. Launching the education project, starting the course, applying for the job that you've dreamed of, and suddenly you go further. And it gives you options in life. So if there's anyone here pushing on in any of those things, bless you. Be an encouragement to someone else. Because there's lots of people, even in this room, who are bound up with fear, not applying for their jobs, not starting the business, not entering the relationships, not taking the courses, because they're, what if I fail? What if it doesn't work out? What if I look silly? Is that God or is it not? And if it's not for you, shut it down, guard your heart, and tune back into the small, still voice because he's got a great plan for you. But I want to end on some good news. 1 John 4 verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fear, fears is not made perfect in love. Jesus is love personified. His perfect love. When you allow Jesus into your heart, he says he's going to drive the fear out because the two can't reside together. And so therefore, if you're someone who's been bound up with fear for one reason or another and you know that that's affecting you, I come here tonight to say, allow Jesus in and he will drive it out and he will set you free from it because that's what he's about. He wants you free to run the life you were called to run. I'm not going to read the passage, but if you want to look at it, it's in 2 Kings 9 where Jezebel's defeated. And she's actually killed by some men that Elisha anointed, God's chosen men. And she fell out of her window and she was eaten by dogs to the point that the only thing left of her was a few bones. And I want to say this. Fear's going to be around. Just because I've given you an encouraging message tonight, don't think you're going to walk out and there's going to be no fear around. Fear's going to be around. It's going to be there. There will be people in your life who want to question you, who want to challenge you. It's going to happen. Let's not pretend otherwise. But it doesn't have to be your deciding voice. Guard your heart against it. I want to say to you, how about as far as you're concerned, fear can be eaten by the dogs. 
and have no place in your world anymore, holding you back from how far you could really go. But maybe that relationship is for you. Maybe that job, business, place of education, course, I don't know, whatever it is that's in your heart, maybe it is for you. And yet some negative person has got your, into your thinking and stopped you. Well, Jesus says, I came to break that. And he's here tonight. And if you'll allow him, he'll break it tonight. And you could walk out of this place saying, I'm pushing that door tomorrow. I'm going to get on with it. God is saying, why are you here? I didn't make you to be here. Why are you here? I've got things to do, people to see, places to go, a life to live, an adventure to run on. And yet we're living in monotony. And it was never my plan. If you find yourself in this position, God's the great healer. He's the great restorer. He's the great reconciler. And there's always another chance in him. You might think, I've been here so many times. How about this time? So you need to fight this one with me, Lord. There's always, always, always another chance. For this to be a year that's marked by joy for you, we need to be actively deciding what the voices are going to be. We need to be actively tuning into the Father. We need to be actively doing our best to live a life that glorifies Jesus. And you will go far. And you will laugh lots along the way. Whether it's our stupid jokes or a celebration of your life. But Zephaniah 3.17 says God's singing over you. And when you do well, he's singing over you. When you mess it up, he's singing over you. When you're bound up by fear, he's singing over you. He's not changing. But how about we get on the page, church? Would you stand up? I'd love to pray for a few of you. Let me just invite you just to close your eyes if you're willing. Don't have to, but really helps in this environment to give someone a bit of privacy who's next to you and maybe help you tune in. Maybe God's been speaking to you tonight, encouraging you tonight, challenging you tonight. But how about we do a little bit of business with our Father? Father, we stand before you, a bunch of people doing our very best, getting on with our lives, trying to make right choices, trying to press in with our skills. But we have to acknowledge, Lord, that there's been voices around us so often that have just pulled us back, got into our heads, messed with us a bit, and we've allowed it a place in our life. We want to invite you, Jesus, just to come in and break us free from it. That it wouldn't affect us anymore. That it would stop hindering how far we could go. And just with every eye closed, if you're relating to this kind of stuff, you know, I know there's been stuff hindering me and I want to leave this place with it dealt with. Just give me a wave. We're going to pray together. Bless you there. Bless you, 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 bless you. Oh, loads of people. It's awesome. Father, you can put your hands down. Jesus. Lord, I just thank you for those amazing, amazing people who came out tonight to get around your throne room, who came out tonight to stand with brothers and sisters in your presence, 
but find themselves undone before you. Lord, we give you our hopes and dreams again. Lord, we say sorry where we've allowed a negative report and fear to get in and just dominate how we're thinking. But we choose, come on church, we choose to tune into your voice again. Lord, I just pray even now you begin to inspire people to say, yes, I'm going again. I'm going again. I'm going again. Lord, build up that excitement in them. That excitement that maybe Elijah had when he was about to go out to Carmel, Carmel and challenge the prophets. That excitement that says, my God's going to do this with me. Lord, I just pray for an excitement to rise up in your people to say, yes, my God's going to do this with me. And I'm not letting the fear rob it anymore. So I take authority over fear right now and break its power over your life in Jesus' name. I don't have to scream and shout about it because God's given us the authority. Fear, let them go in Jesus' name. But Lord Jesus, we invite you in right now to fill us with your perfect love, with that hope, with that ability to run fast and run far that joy that wells up on the inside because of our relationship with you. That we'd look back in six months' time and a year's time and go, wow, look how far I've come because I tuned into you again. I just want to give opportunity just while the eyes are closed. Is there anyone here tonight who says, Lord, I just, I want you back in the middle of my life. Somewhere in it all I've drifted. Maybe you've never had Jesus in your life and you want that perfect love in your life. Maybe tonight's the night you pray a prayer and says, Lord, I open up to you. Lord, come back again. Lord, wherever you're at. If that's you tonight, give me a wave and we'll pray together. Bless you there. Bless you, bless you. Bless you there. So good. You can put your hands down. Let's just do this together. I'll pray a line, you pray a line. It's an important moment for people. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you that you love me. I invite you to live in my heart, to come and be my Lord, my Savior, my friend, to defeat the fear in my life and to fill me with perfect love, confidence, hope, and joy. And I choose faith to believe you love me and will lead me forward. Amen. Amen. Let's just take one more moment. Don't rush past it. We've got a special thing going on in this church for people who are entrepreneurs. There's a bit of a, what we would call an entrepreneurial spirit in the building where people who are starting their own businesses or their own thing, that it's going to go well for you. If you're an entrepreneur in the room, could you just give me a wave? I'd love to pray for you. Wow, so good. If you're next to someone who's an entrepreneur, got their hand raised, could you go stand next to them and maybe put an arm on their shoulder, move around? There's a lot of people in the middle there. Guy, guy on the far side there. Let's get together. Anyone else? Make sure that everyone's catered for. Move around, get around people. Stepping out in the financial world on your own is a brave thing. But I believe God's anointing businessmen and businesswomen in this time. 
and we're going to cheer each other on. And in those moments of fear and doubt, we're going to guard our heart and say, no, I'm pressing in. So Lord God, I lift up the entrepreneurs in this room. Those who are either started a business or thinking about starting a business and I speak a blessing on you right now. I speak new thought processes that would come straight from heaven. That you'd think out of the box and you'd get ahead of the game. That you'd be a market leader in your field. That you would become financially successful and you'd have the ability to handle your finances wisely. That you'd be blessed and you'd be a blessing. That people would be blessed because of you. And I just break the power of fear over your life right now in Jesus' name. And I speak hope and expectation and faith and relationship and success over you right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Should we worship together again?